0: Hello and welcome to Next Gen. Uh, My name's Andrew Pratt and I am your host. Today I want to start a bit of a discussion about a fundamental issue I see all around me at the moment, and it's what I I personally term the dichotomy of Adventist belief. Um, At the moment in our church we have two significant sides. Um... We have what you would call um, far-right fundamentalism, and we've got what you would call far-left progressives. Um, And both sides um, are are genuine Adventists. Um, They both strongly believe in the Adventist message, and they both are really passionate about the church. But there's an issue I see with these two sides, both of them, and that is that for those individuals that don't fit into one of those two sides, they have nowhere to fit um, and dealing with this issue is going to take a lot of leadership and a lot of strong uh, decisions from the top. Um, or we can start the discussion right here and now, and start to come up with what we think we could we could do about it. So I like to um, think that I'm relatively balanced at times. I'm uh, sure I, I make some some errors, and that's okay. Um, but I'm constantly learning, and I'm trying to learn how to keep all of my ideas in tension so that I stay a relatively balanced individual. Uh, But at the moment, I've come across some situations where um, my personal ideas and beliefs don't fit into either the far right or the far left. And both sides are saying to me, hey, you need to choose a side. If you don't believe what I believe... You are not Adventist, or if you don't believe what I believe, you're obviously one of those on the far right, or you're obviously one of those on the far left. Um, and that really mirrors in many ways what's happening right around the world, not just in your church, but in the wider world. So, um, let's start with the issue of centralism or trying to find a spot in the centre. Now, we're not going to get into what either side believes. Um, I, I believe that is a discussion when I have someone else on the podcast with me and we can go through it together. Um, otherwise, um, it's a little bit, not just dangerous for me, but I think it isn't wise for me to go through that discussion. Um, so just recently I was um, in a Facebook discussion, which isn't a great place to discuss um anything to do with religion or politics or anything really. So Facebook, that's really not the best place for discussion, but I was there anyway. And I noticed that every time I tried to walk a, a line that was neither left nor right, I basically got told by both sides, Hey, you need to choose a side. They didn't say those words, but that was a message that that came across. And the thing is, is, I want to ask the question, if we have a dichotomy where we have two sides rather than a spectrum of belief, how are we as a church going to progress in the future where a lot of our members are just not going to fit in and a lot of our pastors are just not going to fit in? Um, just recently there was an event where I felt like I didn't fit in because I wasn't conservative and I wasn't progressive. And I'm just wondering, is there anyone listening to this that feels like that? Do you just feel like you just don't fit? And I suggest there's a lot of us. I suggest there's a lot of us at the moment that just feel like we don't fit. And I'm here to say, well, you do fit, um, because I believe, and from my reading of our fundamentals and reading of the Bible, that belief is a spectrum. It's not just a single single down-the-line thing. It's a spectrum. People believe and express in different ways. That's why we have what's called diversity. And diversity is an important thing for keeping everyone growing, progressing, maturing, and and improving themselves to chase after um, living a life where you are able to express the, the love of Jesus Christ on our community. If we use the church, are going to do that. We're going to embrace diversity. And I believe that the current, what I call, as I've already termed, dichotomy of belief is hampering our global mission. Now, by really... Uh, defining sides in our church, it's meant that uh, whenever you do mission, whenever you do bring someone new into the church, they end up on one of those sides, whether you like it or not. And I think that's a dangerous precedent to set, because all that it does is say to those people who like to be in the middle, or that are naturally in the middle from what they believe, says to them that they aren't valued. Now, I don't agree with every opinion on, that anyone has, and I think that's natural. Um, and I think that we as a church need to take a book, take a leaf out of Jesus Christ's book in learning how to respect even those that are wildly different to you. Now, I'm a big passion, and sorry, I'm really, really passionate about community. I love trying to build community, and community is always diverse. However, community and having healthy communities is something that is beginning to not be valued the world over. So I have just, here in Australia, finished um, our federal election. Um, I voted a few weeks ago. We all voted. It's compulsory. And it was really interesting to look at the results. Our country is... Polarized just like America and Britain, and at the moment, even well, really any country that you look at is polarizing. Uh, the it's either extreme right or extreme left, and there's very little in between. And, um, as a society, I, I'm going to suggest that we have created shades of gray. Sorry, we have we have basically labeled shades of gray as evil, you can't. take bits and ideas from different different parts and and build up your own worldview you have to either choose the progressive worldview of accepting everything no matter what even when it goes against your morals or you've got to choose the right view of not allowing any any difference and i i really struggle with that because i love people I, i don't want anyone to feel like they miss out on feeling accepted and loved and a part of a community and it really does bring a bit of a bit of heartache to me when when that happens so in our church we are actually mirroring the state of politics the world over uh i've i've um I've really struggled seeing the fact that our church has actually really taken on that right versus left uh philosophy and it's probably been unintentional um, but it has been exacerbated by the um, current leadership, and also the way in which um, the leadership words things that motivates both sides to really pick up steam against each other. And I don't believe that that is what Christ would want. So if you've... I'm actually going to use the Bible here today, which I probably should use every single week. So if you've got your Bible there, I want you to open it up and go to the book of Luke. Um, that's the book of Luke. And we're gonna I'm going to have a quick read of something in Luke 14. And this passage kind of means a lot to me and. If you come and hear me speak on Sabbath, I'll probably end up using the same passage at the moment, which is what I'm writing my sermon around. sermon's very different to this. So, you go to Luke uh, 14. I'm going to start in verse... uh, Where are we? Verse 7. Actually, no, verse 1. And it says, One Sabbath, which is Saturday, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. Sounds familiar. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? You know, anything about Jesus, he was a bit of a uh, healer on the Sabbath, and he often upset the Pharisees. But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked places of honour at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honour, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. That's it's so cool, here we go. Then he starts to tell them. And then he says, if so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat, then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honoured in the presence of all the other guests, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And then Jesus said to his hosts, who were the Pharisees, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back so that you will be repaid. I kind of like that. It's basically saying, don't, Don't only stick to your own echo chamber. Um, And I think that's a big issue in our church and in the world at the moment. And it says, but when you give a banquet, here we go, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. How's that? Invite those that are different to you. Invite those that are outside of your bubble. Invite those that don't have anything. Invite those that are opposite to you. And you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So don't expect your rewards here on earth. Uh, expect the fact that when um, Jesus comes back again and we are made perfect in that twinkling of an eye at the second advent, we will Yeah, we will our reward will be in heaven, our reward isn't here on earth. Um, and then um, and then it continues. And then it says when one of those at the table with him heard this. One of the Pharisees said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all began to make excuses. Sounds familiar. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. And another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And then another said, I just got married. I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. And the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town, and bringing the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. So when... I, th- I think we can read into that a little bit. So the servant said, when you ordered, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. And the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel all to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. I think that um, that's really beautiful. I love that parable so much, and I love the, the little parable before when Jesus was talking with the Pharisees. I have really noticed that we tend to fuel our own echo chambers, me included. Um, and I'm I'm really trying to look outside of my echo chamber and expand my worldview. But a lot of people label anything that differs to their view as evil or as not of god or they use all manner of excuses but i think that we need to remember that no matter what side we're on we are all ultimately on the one side of jesus christ i i really do struggle when when we try to make the gospel exclusive because the gospel is not exclusive the gospel is inclusive jesus didn't just die for a few people he died for everyone and he wants all to accept him. It's, it's on us to, to accept him and his fullness. And there's, a, there's a lot of uh, contra, controversy around at the moment in the church and in our wider community. Um, when we look at the world, it's, there's a lot going on. But I think that we actually need to be willing to step outside of our echo chamber, step outside of the feast that we've created and humble ourselves um, at the ultimate feast in heaven. We, uh, I liken this to when Michaela and I were were planning our wedding. We sat down just um, actually before we got engaged. Um, and we added up how many people would need to come to a wedding of ours. And we, we only got through family members to start with. And just with family members alone, we had over 200 people we'd have to invite we hadn't even got to invite our friends yet. That was an eye-opening experience. But I, but I I really believe that that helped me to actually say, hey, you know what, family's important. Neither Michaela or I wanted to have a big wedding. We ended up with 160 people at our wedding, which is a lot. And yeah, it, it was a lot of work, but it was worth it. That's the thing, because we wanted to share with family and friends, not just our love for each other. We wanted to provide a feast where we could all come together and just be and just be who we are Jesus doesn't call us to actually you know make everyone the same of us Jesus calls us to come just as we are if you if you go back and you read that passage again what does it say in verse let me let me double check that i write this from verse twelve through to verse fourteen. It says, and Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But it says, expand your eyes, look out, above, around, and look further. It says, But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And I think that we've got to remember that. The kingdom of God isn't just our own echo chamber. The kingdom of God is far, far, far beyond that. The kingdom of God is actually a a collection of all of us with our diverse beliefs and understandings and knowledge, but we all are, are faithful to God. And I think that is a key thing. I, I think that we... There's no need to stress about sinless perfection, because I'm sorry, you're not going to become sinless on this earth. Um, Jesus... Jesus uh, he He's coming back to make us perfect in the twinkling of an eye And there's nothing that we can do To delay or hasten his coming uh, And I, I also need to think That we also got to remember that We do That, that our, our What am I trying to say Our salvation Is through our faith That produces Good things Get that Our salvation is only through faith But our faith means that there are good things that are produced. So if our our faith is rooted in Jesus Christ, naturally good things come from that. But there isn't any extra expectation on that. Now, you might quote uh, that famous verse from James that says, Faith without works is dead. But if you keep on reading either side of that, you see that faith without works is dead. Because having faith produces good works. There isn't an expectation of good works good works happen naturally when you have good faith. And I think that that's what this passage in Luke is talking about, that having good faith naturally grows and and creates a community of believers that are far beyond our own echo chamber, that are people that are drug addicts or alcoholics or prostitutes or anything like that, um, Jesus came to minister to all, not just the few, not just his own echo chamber. Jesus could have just hung around in Bethlehem in Nazareth and, and only got people in Nazareth and, and, and ditched. But we wouldn't then have these stories. We wouldn't then have this community. Our churches shouldn't be a place for the, for the righteous. It should be a place for the unrighteous so that they can become righteous in God's eyes. Does that make sense? You got any questions, you can you can at me on on Twitter or on Facebook. But I believe that we are at a point in our Christian Christian community where we're at a crossroads. We have some important decisions to make. We have some important changes to make. And I know that we are slowly stepping through that. But I'm I'm starting to get frustrated, which is why I'm vocalizing it here with our stubbornness to block people out so we're so we're sometimes we're so stubborn that we just forget about our communities and we focus on our own internal struggles our own navel gazing but ultimately we've all got a seat at the table now i'm not saying we're all we're all gonna be the most of the most but humble yourself take a seat at the table and share with those that you'd never normally share with that's my challenge i think i got a little bit preachy here you know that happens, but anyway, so just if you've got any thoughts, respond to me. I'd love to um chat in our next pod in my next podcast. uh maybe we can have a bit of a q and a session in my next podcast um if you've got any questions, you can leave them on facebook um, on my page or on twitter, um or you can Instagram message them to me, or uh if you wanna leave a review if you're on Apple Podcasts, you can leave a review there. And I'd love it if you could do that and maybe even share this podcast as well. So anyway, I better get off to keep on going with my work day. I've just recorded this in between a couple of, of things. I've had like literally 30 minutes to get this done. So I've got it out and we'll get it up. And I will catch you guys all in the next one. And look out for a future podcast coming in the next uh, few weeks. Uh, I don't have an exact date yet called The Soapbox. That's right. It's called the soapbox and it's not just going to be me um there's going to be uh pastor darren pratt it's going to be his soapbox and it's going to be exciting to explore um belief and explore practice with him and so, look out for that one and um anyway i'll catch you guys all in the next one over and out